This is Identity at the Center. If it has anything to do with IAM, this is the go-to podcast. So if you're a beginner or an expert or anyone in between, you've found your new home. Welcome to Identity at the Center. Now your hosts, Jim McDonald and Jeff Stedman. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself. I'm good. Hey, I got a, an email from LinkedIn today that they are, that it, I get one every so often with companies that are hiring people in the IM space. And there happened to be a particular airline hiring, and it happens to be the airline that we were talking about yesterday. And they're looking for like a senior IM manager. And I'm, <laughs> I, we won't say the name of the airline, but I mean, to find out that they're they're still using um, secret questions as a second factor of authentication, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want that job. Yeah, not even. I, I think I I don't know which one you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and if it's the one I'm thinking about, it's not even good secret questions. It's favorites, and oh my <laughs> gosh, I don't know how many soapboxes I've stepped on and off of around. I hate favorites when it comes to any sort of Validation. Favorites change and they're very difficult for users to remember. Stop using favorites. Um, airline people who I think you're referring to, Jim, whoever that new person is, please make it a mission, fix it, go passwordless, please do something better. Um, I don't fly them anymore just because of my uh, uh, regional change, but um, I know what you're talking about. And yeah, that is one of my. One of my first world problem pet peeves that I have uh, for authentication. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the reason I said that I don't think it's the job that I would want. It's not that I don't think that would be, you know, low hanging fruit or shooting fish in a barrel or whatever you want to say to describe something that's very easy to do or very easy to identify but if it's been this long and it still hasn't changed, there must be some inertia, like a, a marketing, like a CMO is like, no, our people don't want to have to use a second factor or people like the secret questions. Yeah, they like it because they don't have to do anything more secure. I don't know. I just, I, I'm not going to say anything more about it because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> say yeah. something I probably don't, I shouldn't say, but I don't agree with that. I, I feel like this chain, this has been around for at least seven or eight years, if I recall when this went live, because I remember when it went live. I feel that's enough time to, you know, figure out what your next step is from a stronger authentication. But I understand you got lots of users. You got to be very careful about change and, you know, all that stuff. But, man, I just I didn't agree with it eight years ago. And I still don't agree with it now. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that, you know, what really brought it to mind, though, about the airlines was. I flew back last night, got home at 1 a.m., and I was very fortunate. The, the flight was comfortable, and, you know, it got in on time, but it's still a long day. You flew today. We're in the the great cold north of the United States, and it was we're working with a, a client who is a regional bank. So much going on in the regional banking space these days, and I, I kind of think one of the biggest challenges for the regional banks is that, you know, they're for the most part managed by the same or they're required to become 
compliant with many of the same regulations as the big banks, but they don't have the size of the IAM organizations that the big banks have. And so it's got to be a big challenge. I'm sure it is. I think you and I, you know, kind of talked through that uh, this week as we had conversations with that. But um, I think the good news is, is sometimes that can be a blessing because there's less bureaucracy to get through things and to actually get changes done. So I, I'm going to pretend to look at that as a positive glass half full uh, scenario rather than the negative. Because, Jim, I don't want you starting off with a negative. You, you were on a streak there for a few weeks. <laughs> let's let's not go there. It's Friday. I've been up Bring since it down, 2 a.m. <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you. So I flew back uh, from we were in the Chicago area and Wisconsin and stuff like that. And I, I got I had to get up at 2 a.m. to drive back to O'Hare and to catch basically the earliest flight they have out of there. And I have found what I think is the best airline club location that I've seen yet in the United States. The Delta Club at Terminal 5 at O'Hare is fantastic. Hmm. It's like new. It must be brand new, but it's big. It's spacious. Plenty of options. Plenty of variety of seating styles. I got to tell you, at 430 in the morning, it was a very welcome sight for me. I, I think Delta's up, up their game across the board. Um, their CISO is named Deb Wheeler and uh, our guest today and I reported to her at one of the bank at the bank that we worked together at over a decade ago. So shout out to Deb. Your company's doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Just uh, fix some of the Atlanta club, please. <laughs> Those kids <laughs> using a couple updates. updes. Uh, well, before we get to our guests, let's go through Eddie. What, what kind of announcements we got? I think uh, we're coming up on Identiverse uh, coming up here in a month. Uh, it's yeah, May, 30th, May 30th Yeah, at the Aria, Re, Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we have a very special Identiverse discount code just for our listeners because we love you so much. And because Identiverse is so very cool, they hooked us up with this. This is like our first discount code for a conference. So uh, get those little pens out. It's IDV as in Identiverse. ID as in dog, V as in Victor. I-C-E-N, like Identity Center. 2020. So IDV dash ICEN20. I, you know, it's a little bit mouthful. I'll make sure it's in our show, our show notes so people get it, but that gets you 20% off, which is, which is very cool. So, um, very nice of the Denverse folks to kind of hook us up with that. And I know you spent a lot of time kind of working with them on that. So it paid off, I hope. <laughs> yeah, it didn't pay off in terms of cash, but it paid <laughs> off for our and our listeners who hopefully can save some cash. Yeah. I think we talked about one of our previous, like, what do you do with that 20% savings? Do you uh, <laughs> throw it back into the, into the pool, the corporate pool, or do you go to a little bit nicer dinner? Um, you know, do you rent the, uh, the Uber uh, black car versus the Uber regular car? I mean, how, how are you going to spend that 20% Jim? Yeah. I mean, so I like all those ideas. I think I would maybe uh, go to a show or something. It is Vegas. It is Vegas. That's the way you do it. Um, let's see any other news and notes before we get into our main topic. No, let's jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Um, let's talk about banking in the IM world, maybe banking on IM. I don't know. I haven't decided on a show name yet. Maybe that'll name itself, but, uh, we're going to invite onto the show, uh, first timer Srini Kasula. He's a senior IM technology leader at Wells Fargo. Welcome to the show, Srini. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Um, it sounds like you and Jim have some history, so why don't we start there? I think, you know, one thing we like to do with our first time guests is to understand sort of their identity origin story. 
and to find out is, is I am something that you chose or did it choose you? We have an interesting background. Um, and uh, my journey started exactly back in 2000 uh, when we were building an authentication internally. We've been actually saying, hey, you know, why not we look at the Cards product? So we started on looking at Cards product and then I started my journey with uh, SiteMinder, uh, which is an integrity product. And then basically, you know, implemented that uh, for a banking client. Uh, I was working for a bank at the time as well to be able to provide a, a single sign-on across multiple business lines. That's how I started my, you know, security journey and IAM journey. And from then onwards, I've been pretty much you know, as the IAM is evolving, I was uh, in the, you know, authentication directory and then governance and then privilege access. That's how I've been actually uh, involved in IAM. And, uh, you know, like, interestingly, Jim and I actually have worked at, uh, you know, at, at the bank where they've been given under TARP a bank holding company status. So we had to spun up the IA program and we actually have to build everything related to IAM from the scratch at the time. So that's how, uh, you know, Jim has been my partner in crime for delivering that IAM program. Jim seems to have a lot of partners in crime. (laughs) (laughs) So They're they're all innocent until I meet them. Yeah, definitely. That is for sure. Um, so Srini, um, you're a senior IAM technology leader. What does that mean in the real world? What are you What are you working on? Like, what does that entail? Yeah, I've been working on quite a number of things. Um, so basically, we we have, you know, like not only just working for all the internal IAM, you know, like uh, capabilities development that meets the, the control requirements. And also, like we are getting on to a new uh, digital transformation journey into the uh, into the cloud. So we need to basically develop cloud specific controls and capabilities. That is something that it's new and exciting stuff. Uh, that's what actually I've been working on. That's cool. So Srini, you and I worked together at the bank, and um, you know, you left. I guess after me at some point, and I think you got out of the banking world for a while or into consulting. You probably saw some banking clients, but probably some in other industries as well. What I wanted to ask you is, you know, how is IM in the banking world different than in other industries? Yeah, so the banking industry is heavily regulated, and it has a lot of compliance requirements. So one of the things that I notice is basically because of the regulation and compliance, um, you know, the, most of the time, there will be heavy focus and emphasis on how do I make sure that we just become compliance to the uh, regulatory requirements. You know, whereas in other areas where you don't have this, at least based on my consulting experience, you know, where there is not much regulation, they actually get an opportunity to be able to you know, try some new things like, you know, like uh, AIML model based, you know, like whether you are to look at the alert and threat response 
inside, you know, IAM or, you know, trying out some new optimization techniques, uh, some of those areas, you know, you can, you know, quickly introduce. Whereas in the case of banking, you got to make sure that everything is actually run through the, the compliance and making sure that, you know, does it actually, you know, introduce any risk to the controls, right? Those are some of things that I see significant difference. And then another aspect that I also see is, for the most part in the banking world, you try to make sure that you are in compliance to the controls. We don't like to actually have basically, you know, at least, you know, like in my experience, you know, you don't actually try to think above and beyond just to controls, right? You know, you like the, uh, looking at the overall risk posture and what do I need to do above and beyond. So that's uh, uh, something that, you know, we won't have a lot of time, I would say, in some cases. Uh, that's, that is a, a bigger difference that I've seen between banking and non-banking. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And, and some when, when I was in the banking space, and I've seen this, you know, working with financial services clients, but not being in the spaces, it's, it's kind of like not every client that I work with is in banking. Um, but going back over a decade ago, it was, there's a lot more suspicion and wariness of leveraging cloud-based services. Now there's some spaces of technology where you look and it's like, it'd be hard to find a non cloud-based service to fill your needs. You almost are forced down the road of using cloud-based services. And I always remember the the hesitance being around putting, you know, user customer data in the cloud. Um, but I have to imagine a lot of those walls are breaking down now. Yeah, you, you are absolutely right, Jim. You know, back in the day, like, you know, there was a lot of concerns. But if you look at today, you know, most of the software is basically a software as service, right? You are already using a lot of these software as service. You already have your data in some of these cloud providers. So, you know, there, there, there is a lot of shift in the approach and there is also some confidence in the overall the control structure in the cloud providers. So, you know, banking world is also exploring and looking at opportunities to you know, leverage the cloud providers, you know, as, as an extension of existing data centers. Yeah, so definitely. And, and, you know, with the amount that IT has changed and how the cloud has impacted things, I'm wondering, what are some of the, the cool things that you're working on now in your role as a senior IAM technology leader? Yeah, so there are a couple of challenges that comes with, you know, cloud, right? You know, one of the things is, you know, basically the whole agility, right? You know, with um, be able to, you know, quickly deliver the resources and able to quickly push the workloads and everything is done through automation using, you know, like automation tools like Terraform or CloudFormation. You know, we cannot apply the traditional the old school IAM processes are controls. So one of the things that I'm actually looking at is 
how do we make sure that we support the agility and then also to make sure that we also have enough controls in place so that we can actually support you know the business application to be able to be moved into the cloud so that's one of the uh, cool things and also other thing that I would also say I mean again like there are various things that are going on but another interesting thing is you know we have been focusing too much on all the tools on the on-prem uh, privilege access and all what these cloud providers bring is like an interesting challenge of actually having their own privilege access tools, we need to figure out how do we bridge the gap, right? How do we, you know, play along with their tool set? How do we make sure that we actually put the controls that we have on-prem onto these cloud providers as well? So those are some of the two things that I want to highlight as cool things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it, you you get a lot of opportunity to, um, you know, figure out how to do things faster, more resilient um, yep. than maybe even like some of the cloud solutions that you're looking at, like, you know, in terms of what service level agreements they can provide you. Can you can you actually beat those? Can you, um, you know, survive a disaster? I would imagine this is something that, you know, you look at it, it's like, can I survive a disaster, recover from a disaster quicker than I'm being offered in terms of an SLA. And then I've got, I've got to imagine also when you look at SLAs and just kind of historic data, usually like in terms of like uptime, um, you have to question like, okay, can you actually do that? <laughs> Even though you might be putting it on as your guarantee, if they, they fail to meet the SLA, like, what are you going to do? Not pay them for the service for a month. Um, you've got to look at it probably like, okay, well, if, if I can't get my authentication system back up and running, it could bring the bank to its knees. Yep. Yeah. Th that's, that's a, an interesting uh, challenge too, right? You know, like, uh, although they have all this uh, um, high availability, BCPs, you know, like uh, they have various different data centers on, you know, like between East Coast, West Coast, and global. But still, you know, when it comes to authentication, you know, you, you still need to make sure that, you know, we actually have an ability to be able to quickly, you know, fail over to the backup or fail over to you know, a global region that is available to be able to still serve to the, our customers. So that that's uh, so far has been a pretty interesting challenge and, uh, you know, one of the cloud providers that we, we work with, you know, they do actually have some of this, you know, like uh, able to kind of cache the credentials, like uh, not the cache credential, caching the, the tokens and to be able to still operate and provide. So they do actually have thought through this. They, they are providing that ability, even in the case of, you know, a, a data center failover. Right. So we think, think of your area of it's kind of like focused on the workforce. I am yet the big three areas, access management, uh, identity governance and privilege access management, access management pretty much has to be available. That's like 
Okay. You know, if that goes down for five, 10 minutes, people notice. IGA, you can usually last a little bit longer, right? If your provision gets slowed down. So it's not like, um, you know, it's got to be 24 by 7 uptime. Obviously, you don't want it to go down, but you can deal with a little downtime. I think privilege access management is in a, a you know, ballpark by itself because you have the authentication, um, but it's also like at that core systems level of like people, not only like would it be people be inconvenienced by not being able to authenticate, they might not be able to restore from a disaster if you have your privilege access management system down. And in my experience, that's a lot of the time where you face resistance or a harder time getting a PAM truly rolled out is that folks who manage systems like servers um, say, okay, well, how am I, how am I going to survive if your privilege access management system goes down? Yeah, that, that's, 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 well, that's very accurate description of what are the challenges with each area, right? Um, so let's probably just touch on the privilege. I think that's a, it's a valid concern, right? You know, you need to be able to give them access to be able to retrieve. So, you know, we do actually have a couple of different strategies, you know, uh, you know, one of the strategies to make sure that you always have a break glass, true break glass, break glass. That way that, you know, they can actually get into it and they're able to quickly retrieve the access that they need so that they can support the business operations uh, on needs, right? So they're able to, uh, able to get into the access and they're able to quickly restore. So, so that, that's an interesting, as you rightly said, you know, by being in the consulting, that is one of the concerns why in my consulting area, they, they, in my consulting experience, they have not widely adopted the privilege access to all the platforms, there are a lot of concerns. So, yeah, and one—I mean, I'm sure you guys do kind of the tabletop exercises and and everything. But um, you know, I know that back in the day, the, the people would always say, "Oh, yeah, you have a disaster recovery plan." But the question is, do you test it, or like how often do you test it? Because that's really the 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 true grit of whether or not your plan's any good. <laughs> because you don't want to be there having to restore and your plan's not good. But I, I, I did want to shift the conversation. So you manage the team. I want to talk about like uh, the pandemic and how, you know, we just came out of this long pandemic, but it, it came on so quick. It hit a lot of organizations by surprise. They kind of shifted to a remote work um, posture and having to support remote workers that at the scale that they've never had to in the past. I'm wondering how did that affect you? Um, and is it starting to ease up where, you know, I mean, I would imagine it, of course it's easing up, but are people starting to go back into the office? Yeah. So, so pandemic actually taught all of us a lot of new things, right? One is how can we get the work done remotely? And also, in an in, interesting area for IM especially, we, we need to actually be able to quickly scale up to be able to support a lot of this workforce who can work remotely and securely, right? That, that's the second area. And as we are getting back, you know, like uh, also sees 
some of the positive stuff, right? You know, like a lot of people are actually somewhat, you know, like a kind of bored being at home for so long. Once, you know, the offices have opened up, you know, like they, they like that social interaction. Uh, they like to be able to get into a room and then whiteboard, you know, especially on the area that I work in, you know, we, we, we like to actually whiteboard a lot of stuff, like, you know, how the integration works, you know, how do we actually build these uh, controls in place? So, so that's it's a, a gradual transition that we are going through right now. Yeah, did you guys ever get to a point where you could, you know, virtually whiteboard? I mean, did you try to take that yes. and come up with some kind of app that everybody could, you know, I think Microsoft has it. I actually never got to that point where we actually whiteboarded virtually very often, except, you yeah, know, Jim. trying to use like Lucy Char. When, yeah. when it comes to technology. <laughs> I like yeah. to, I like to use paper and pencil. I'm excited for you to get your new laptop, by the way, Jim, because it has a pen. You're going to love it. <laughs> Sorry to interject, yeah, I mean, but... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we have not used a lot of that, but, you know, I think, as you know, with all the bandwidth, uh, sometimes like, you draw here, it doesn't show up on the screen for quite some time, like, you know, and then he's doing video calls. But what we have used is like, you know, Lucid Chart or Visios, you know, you basically draw on the Visio and then, you know, that, that way that you can share and, you know, uh, basically, or you, you know, you do the Visio up front and then about the Visio on the call. So that's how I've seen, uh, at least in my experience during that time. Yeah, yeah. I think Lucid Chart, for me, it's like I can use Lucidchart to draw up a diagram so much faster than with Visio. I think yep. I, I don't like Visio. Do <laughs> you remember those whiteboards that a lot of places have where you could draw on them Scan. and then you push a button and they were printed out? Yeah, I've seen that, but I don't see that now. But I, I do remember a decade back, that was the trend, right? You write it on a whiteboard. Uh, you draw a picture, it will automatically scan and send it as a PDF to yeah. a computer that you can use, either print it or you share that. So I don't it's see like that a, quite often nowadays. It's like a nerdy corporate uh, Polaroid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really bad. Yeah, so what was the one that Arturo had, Jeff? Yeah, they had Microsoft Surface Hubs, which are these, you know, basically big screen TVs with touch screen, with touch touchscreen capability you could draw on them. Very cool. Very expensive. I don't know if they ever actually took off and and all but maybe the biggest enterprises or maybe the best Microsoft customers. <laughs> but it's a very cool idea, right? You have like this basically 50-inch TV that you can write on and it's connected to your team's room and everyone can see it. Um, it was neat when we were there, that's for sure. Yeah. So, so Srini, a topic that we've been thinking a lot about lately is, you know, training. You know, training of your team, what format do you think is the best investment? Is it sending people to classes? Is it sending people to conferences? Is it something else? Is it getting the Melinda membership or just saying go hit YouTube and watch videos? Um, and then, you know, do you prefer vendor-specific trainings and conferences or something that's more 
you know, industry general? I would say basically both a combination, right? You know, uh, an industry general basically is something that I would say at least they, they need to have an exposure because uh, IAM has been changing, you know, and evolving, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, right? I mean, it has been changing for, for the decade, but um, what I wanted to basically say is I want to be able to have my team to have ex exposure to where IAM is heading and uh, how the industry is, is changing and where they are heading towards and also gives you a bigger picture of how IAM fits into the overall you know, cybersecurity ecosystem. Right, that's uh, where I see a lot of value for those industry conferences. But when it comes to basically an expertise into a specific capability, uh, you know, that's when I see a, a vendor-specific, you know, class. Right, you know, you, you go there is not only you learn about the product, it will also give you an opportunity to connect with other people how they are implementing. What are the challenges that they are facing? How they overcome? So that is also, I feel like it is very equally important to make sure that you know, like uh, you become an expert in that area, right? Uh, that's 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 how I see it. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. So it's kind of like both vendor and industry general is important um, for for both fronts. I, I will say this about conferences. I love going to conferences and networking with people and hearing about how they're solving problems and then even following up and, you know, extending that, um, that meeting to, you know, reconnect later. Um, one question I had for you is as somebody in the banking industry, when you're at conferences or wherever, and you're meeting your peers from other banks are they pretty much willing to share information? Are you willing to share information in terms of here's what we're doing, here's the kind of threats that we're facing and how we're taking them on? Because I always felt like within the in, within the industry, information security is one one area where you know you're not really competitors. You're not competing against it. You're competing against the uh, the adversary, right? Not against other banks. Yeah, you are. Exactly right. Basically, we are not competing. We are not fighting with you know, other competitors, right? So, you know, I mean, I have seen at least uh, uh, there are various different forums where they all come together and then talk about, you know, what they see, what are the best practices. And um, I also have noticed basically all these, you know, big vendors, right? they also have a vested interest to bring in all these folks together to say, okay, you know, like to improve their product, they want to actually have all these, you know, financial companies to provide their, you know, like uh, product feedback. And then they also want to hear from all these financial organizations, what are the, the features that you would like to see, which is common across all these companies, right? All these financial uh, organizations. So I'm seeing more collaboration, more knowledge sharing now than before. Great. 
I'm going to keep going, Jeff, if you don't mind, because I've got a few questions I want to ask Serene. And actually, what I want to do now is kind of like do like a lightning round. So I'm going to throw some ideas out there, some things that I've been thinking about, and I'd like to get your perspective on them. So the first one is DevOps, you know, doing the automation, automated deployment, like infrastructure as code, deploying applications, um, DevOps. What are your thoughts there when and how it relates to what you're working on? DevOps is basically is the way of the future, right? I mean, you know, DevOps is the way to deploy the code. DevOps is the way of actually building the infrastructure. You know, I think uh, I am actually also be part of that pipeline right now. You know, if we don't actually be part of the pipeline, then we will become a blocker. So I, I think that there is a lot that I am need to actually do to catch up with the DevOps pipeline uh, and then be able to you know, deliver all the required controls as part of the pipeline. I think there is a, a, a lot more work, at least from my point of view, uh, in that area. I think it's a big deal to, you have to think about like robots and their need to have identities and how can you, you know, as an IAM professional, make sure that that's being used and done according to policy and within control without slowing down the process, right? That's the, that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the challenge. Again, so what we need to make sure though is we, we should support the agility, but at the same time, we also need to make sure that we have enough controls in place so that we are managing the risk. Yeah, and maybe I ask these out for because I think this is the, the easier one or the thing that people point to that it's like, oh, this is how you're going to secure cloud. So this new space called KEEM or C-I-E-M stands for Cloud Infrastructure Entitlement Management. What are your thoughts there? So that's an interesting area. So that is basically is going to be key if you wanted to have a visibility into the cloud. So a lot of these cloud providers basically give you some visibility, but not the extent that you want to know about it, right? So these, like a CIM vendors who has become like a cloud agnostic, and they are able to provide a visibility across multi-cloud, which is actually going to be very key because you want to know what are the the entitlements, uh, what are the accounts, and who has access to what, and then what type of access they provide. The CIM actually, you know, is is solving that problem right now. So that is actually going to be a key if you are into the cloud. So that is uh, is is a, a, a evolving, right? That's evolving. So and if, if you look at the trend, you know, right now there are some point solutions that are actually coming out. But I, I do see in the future that should become part of the IGA solution because how IGA actually has a visibility into the on-prem systems, you know, like a CIM is providing the similar visibility, but 
we need to, I, I hope I, see, I would see in the near future is having this IGA products, bringing that CAM capability into the IGA and not only just bringing the visibility, you know, we, we probably we need to look at in the future, how do we actually also leverage that data to even, you know, think about how do we provision or how do we remediate the over provisioned access that's how I see in the future the industry is going to head towards. I hope. I think that, I think that's really insightful that you can see it moving toward IGA because they're both kind of a detective control who has access to what there's periodic reviews of that. But I think you know at least operationally speaking, the idea with Keem is that you're looking at it on a more frequent basis. You know, or, or maybe maybe that's not true, but that. You're looking at the, you know, you know over-provisioning is like, I think the word that comes to mind for me is, hey, this role is given to too, too, too many people. These people have yep. too many roles, et cetera. They don't use these roles. Um, and then you can go and right-size access, but it's after the fact. It's They've been sitting with that role for so long, they haven't used it in 90 days. Well, the, you should take it away from that person, but... The reality is that they never needed it in the first place. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah, that, uh, that's, you know, CIM is is giving another perspective, which we never had with all these uh, IGA products. Is it also looks at the usage. IGAs never actually have visibility into the target system, whether this entitlement has been used or not. CIM actually looks at not only you know, the audit data report, okay, when was this last time this role has been used, who has used it? And it also looks at the an analysis of the, the role and the corresponding permissions, who has access to it. And then, you know, when was, I mean, like, is this an over-provisioned access for what they are trying to do? So it is bringing a different dimension, which, you know, we never had even on on-prem. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, Jeff and I have had this discussion. I don't want to call it a debate, but it's more like I am. We talk about I am. It's who has access to what. And then there was the UBA or UEBA, user behavior analytics, which was, and what are they doing with that access? Are they Is the access being used appropriately? And I think there's an element of that to Keem where, you know, it's just to your point, like, okay, we're seeing things we were not able, we're not able to see with IGA. Are they actually using the access? So the last one in the lightning round was, you know, passwordless. And a lot of passwordless solutions have identity proofing in terms of um, part of your onboarding process into the organization using a government issued ID, and, you know, maybe doing like a video selfie to make sure that you actually match up. Moving that into maybe that pre-populate some of your tax forms, but it certainly gives you a higher proof that the person is who they say they are. Maybe later on you can use that, that data for passwordless so you can do passwordless with a biometric, things like that. So I wanted to get your idea of like, how important to you is that, or does that just seem like science fiction? 
So you touched on two different topics. One is the identity proofing. So in at least in the enterprise world, basically the proofing actually happens before an enterprise user comes into the corporate, right? Now you need to basically go through all the background check, all of that, and then we use a HR system. And then typically we trust once you are in the HR system. When it comes to the passwordless, you're talking about, you know, uh, that that's a, that's a different way how I see it. Now, the passwordless, basically, again, we all need to move towards passwordless because we all know that passwords are not a secure way of authenticating. Um, for the passwordless, you know, I mean, believe it or not, like, it's, it is not only just for the human users, right? You know, uh, as you see, a lot of these, you know, like vendors, like, you know, providers like a Google or um, Microsoft, they are moving towards a concept called managed identity or managed account. So they want to be able to basically have these, you know, identities become passwordless because they don't want to be in a business of, you know, maintaining the credential and then, you know, putting a burden on the app teams to actually rotating the credentials. They want to actually provide uh, required resource access uh, at the same time, also bind it to a resource so that you are focusing on just getting the access you need and getting the access that, you know, um, you need to the right resource at the right time. And, you know, moving the burden of like, uh, taking out the burden of like rotating credential. If you look at traditionally, like most of the on-prem, you know, you have a service account, you you need to vault it, you need to make sure that you are rotating it, and all of that is a lot of overhead. And, you know, for the human users, passwordless definitely is the way to go. I, I would see that as more and more applications and more and more systems support it, I think the passwordless is the goal. It's, 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 uh, it's the most secure way of authenticating. That's how I see it. So I'm going to ask you to put on your uh, prediction hat here. I'm not going to hold you to it, but when do you think, at least for, for, for your organization, when do you think you'll be ready to introduce passwordless for your customers or for your internal workforce? Like, what does your timing feel like right now? We, we already use passwordless for internal enterprise users. So we are trying to expand that scope, right? You know, because if you look at it, like, you know, passwordless, it, it, it is something that apps also should be in a position to accept that, right? Not all the applications are ready to accept the passwordless. We already have certain applications passwordless we already have rolled this out to several users internally. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would see in the next couple of years, uh, it's going to be widely adopted for various different applications. Uh, I think this is more on the vendors to become a passwordless compliant. Well, we all know that a lot of banks love their mainframes. So I'm sure IBM and RACF and Top Secret and all those other ones are, are hot on the trail of getting passwordless enabled as part of their authentication stack. <laughs> I won't put yeah. you on the fire uh, you know, to, 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 to answer that, but that's just my own two cents. Um, 
what are some tips that people can take away if I'm in financial services and I'm listening to this um, and maybe they thought about it, maybe they haven't, but from your perspective, what are some tips when it comes to identity and access management that you think people in your industry should be thinking about? Yeah, my tip is going to be, you know, think beyond the compliance requirements, right? You know, we need to be more cognizant of, of the threat landscape and make sure that, you know, we are aware of the risks out there. Think above and beyond the bare minimum auditor compliance requirements. That's, I would say, you know, is going to be the, the number one tip that I can recommend. And it's not only for myself, for other folks as well. Better security improve, uh, you know, helps everybody, I would imagine, in the business. So, yep. um, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. Um, let's go ahead and start to wrap up the conversation there because you've been super generous with your time. It is a Friday after, actually almost evening. It's five o'clock on a Friday. So I want you to get on with your with your weekend. But before we go, well, let's end on a lighter note. And here's what I got for us this week. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great, great grandchildren? Srini, you're the guest of honor. We'll start with you first. I would like to keep the past in the past. I don't want to look back. I would wanted to rather actually look into the future and I want to meet my grand grandkids. <laughs> Jim, how are you? Yeah, I mean, you know me, like the first thing that came to mind was like the past because I it's just like I'm I'm into history. I'd like to see how people lived. But man, just thinking about like the future and seeing what the world was like in the future. And seeing, you know, how you, well, first off, I guess if you have grandkids or great grandkids, then, you know, hey, you did all right. You got, <laughs> you know, the world didn't implode. And I mean, unless you go in, into the future and it's like some kind of like Terminator scenario where it's like, Jim, we're trying to stay positive, man. <laughs> Come on, you're killing me here. Hey, the episode almost ended and it was all positive. So I had to bring it back down to, to reality mm-hmm. you know if there was an apocalypse scenario i really wouldn't want to be there for that yeah i then think we I have our choose- that's our next podcast is uh, apocalypse talk with uh, jim mcdonald <laughs> <laughs> so the end so, with jim mcdonald <laughs> yeah so i better get out there and live while the world's still going so i'm gonna just say future and move on okay so i wonder if this is if if when you answer this question if it relates if you have children or not I don't have children, but I still would go into the future, not because I want to meet my great grandchildren, but because like you, Jim, and I think maybe Trini is like, I want to see what the world is like, right? Do we get to the Star Trek, you know, phase yet? And, you know, in the next, uh, let's say, 100 years, 200 years, whatever that looks like, um, you know, with life expectancy is going longer, maybe, you know, that extends what a great, great grandchild, you know, might look like uh, from an age or distance perspective from where right now. Um I don't know, I, I, I'm I'm a future. I'm with Ishrini. I'm not going to the past. Past is past. Jim, I'm a little surprised. I thought for sure you would want you 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 would you would you would go between the two, but you would end up on the past because of your your love for documentaries. So you you yeah. So I I surprised you. you did but you know here's the thing about the past that I always think about is that probably 
I'd be dead in the past because I'm almost 50. <laughs> and like people didn't, you know, the further back in the past, there were a lot fewer 50 year olds. You know, people who are 60 were considered very wise because like they basically live well beyond their life expectancy. So I'd be like the really old dude in the past. <laughs> Jim, you just, you did it again. You took it to the morbid tip. Thanks for, thanks for that. Um, we're going to go You're ahead. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> we're going to leave it there for this week. Uh, Shrini, thank you so much for being part of this. Uh, we like to put our, our guest uh, LinkedIn into our show notes. So hopefully that's okay. Uh, if people have questions, maybe, or things that they might have reached out to you, uh, hopefully you're open to that. Is that all right? Yep. Of course, Thank I ask all. in front of, you know, Thanks. thousands of people who are listening. So <laughs> you say no. Say no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, let's see. As far as we go, um, you can visit us on the web. We're at IDACpodcast.com. We're on Twitter at IDACpodcast. We're also on Macedon at IDACpodcast at Infosec.exchange. Jim and I always love to engage with uh, listeners. Got a lot of actually great messages this week, uh, including a uh, book that one of our listeners wrote. So I have just started it. I got through the first chapter on my flight today. Um, so I'm intrigued, and uh, I will maybe be giving a book review here in, in, a, in a couple episodes. So that was kind of cool. Um, but Jim and, I always, I, Jim and I always like to connect on LinkedIn with folks. So feel free and show, you know, show ideas. Um, you know, whatever you've got for us, we're happy to bring it to the show. And don't forget about our Identiverse discount code. It's I-D-V-I-C-E-N-2-0. I'll have it in our show notes as well. Get you 20% off your registration. Uh, and you can use that to do an Uber Black or however you think you can, you know, finagle that 20% back into your own pocket. Not, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying, you know, there's an option there. Um, and then don't forget to subscribe and, you know, rate the show. That always helps us. That's that's the number one way you can help us. Um you know, grow and continue to share with other folks. So uh, with that, we will go ahead and leave it for this week. Thanks, Shrini. Thanks, Jim. Let's start the weekend and we'll talk with everyone in the next one. You've been listening to Identity at the Center. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at identityatthecenter.com and find us on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. See you next time on Identity at the Center.